Our scripture from Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those that labor, labor in vain. And we've talked about building the house. We're going to talk about entering his rest. But I want to read a scripture to you from 2 Corinthians. Sorry, computer people, I didn't put that on there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. Beginning in verse 15, Second Corinthians 4:15. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even through, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So when we talk about building the house, when we talk about entering into the work of ministry, and we're going to talk about that today. But specifically, we're going to talk about entering into the rest of the Lord. Now, rest and work may seem contradictory to you. But in the Bible, they're not. There's a way that we can work and work really hard that is absolutely futile and in vain. And this is the point of Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those that labor, labor in vain. So there's a way we can work that is wrong, that is sinful. As we go through the book of Romans on Wednesday night, this is the point, this is what Paul is writing about in Romans. That we're not justified by our works. We're justified by faith. Now Paul also wrote in his letters that we are to do all as unto the Lord. We're, we're to do all to the glory of God. That when we work, we should work hard. And we should work with excellence. And we should do all things to the glory of God. The work of ministry is so important that Jesus gave gifts to the church recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some to be pastors, teachers. Uh, actually, he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. 
And so he gave gifts to the church so that you, the church, you, the people of God, so that we can be equipped to do the work of ministry. Now, the reason I started today with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18 is that sometimes as we go through life, we live our life, we devote our lives to God, and we devote our lives to the work of God. It doesn't mean that we're never going to experience challenge or hardship. The Bible says, think it not strange, the fiery trial that has come upon you. Paul says, it's no strange thing. James says, Peter says, they all talk about this. This is not a strange thing. It's not a weird thing. It's not an unusual thing to be a Christian and have fiery trials. It's not an unusual thing to be a Christian and to suffer under affliction. In modern day America, we've kind of bought into this view that says if if you got pain and suffering in your life, you must have done something wrong. I really want to encourage you guys to come to the Sunday morning adult Bible study. We're going through a video series now called Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. In, in fact, today we talked about Job. And we discussed this idea that, and this is exactly what we saw with Job. Job's three friends came to him and said, you must have done something wrong because God's obviously punishing you because of all this sickness and affliction and tribulation that's come upon you. And one of the things that we learn through the scripture is that if God were going to punish us for our sin, it's not going to be through those types of things because the punishment for sin that God said we deserve is death. If God was going to punish us for our sin, we would not be here today. But God poured his punishment out upon Jesus Christ so that the people of God would be delivered from the wrath they justly deserve. So when Jesus writes, or when Jesus speaks, it's recorded for us in John 16. He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That tribulation has nothing to do with God punishing us for anything. That tribulation is part of this world we live in. And we're called to the work of ministry, and the work of ministry is most likely going to involve tribulation. The work of ministry you're called to is, is not a calling that you walk in and, and you never have a bad day. You never suffer sickness. You never suffer lack or loss or you're never challenged. It's not if I'm doing everything right, then everything's going to go perfect. And when it doesn't go perfect, then God must be punishing me for something. No, God is always working in us. And guess what? God works in us through bitter things and through sweet things. How do we know that? Because we've got a Bible here that is full of those examples. 
And the reason is because God wants us to understand this is the world he created. Now, as believers, we have a hope that goes beyond this world. So we shouldn't live our life focused on the things here that are not right. We shouldn't live our life focused on the things here that, that are consistent with trial and tribulation and begin to define our life and our existence based on those things. No, we need to look beyond those things. And this is exactly what Paul is writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You are a spiritual being. You will live forever, somewhere, in some state. You live in a flesh and blood body because this flesh and blood body is your earth suit. But it doesn't matter how young or how old. It doesn't matter how healthy or unhealthy. It doesn't matter the condition of this earth suit. We're going to all put our earth suits off one day. When we're born again in Jesus Christ, it's not our physical body that's born again. It's our spirit man that's born again. And whether it's Romans chapter 5, where Paul teaches us what tribulation produces, and ultimately it produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. And why doesn't hope disappoint? He says hope doesn't disappoint because the spirit... God has poured his love into our hearts by his spirit. He comes here and he says, this light affliction is working. It's producing in you a more eternal weight of glory. Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a promise. Now, Paul's not saying... Just don't worry about anything. Don't pay your bills. Don't worry about where you're going to live. Don't. Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Trust that I'll take care of you. But Paul is not saying that our life here on this earth doesn't matter. No, your life here on this earth does matter. Your work matters. Your work in the Lord matters. But ultimately, what matters is not just the things that are pressing against you in an earthly and a physical sense. This is Paul's point in Colossians. Those things are going to pass away. But the things that are not seen, the things that are spiritual, those things will remain. 
And this goes right back to what the psalmist wrote when he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We can begin to do things based on everything we can see and work and labor and live and worry and become fearful and become stressed out based on everything we can see And we're not giving heed to the things that are unseen. We're not looking past the temporal parts of our life to that which is eternal. Jesus said to his disciples, it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 28, it's called the Great Commission. He said, All Authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Go to the nations and make disciples. Go teaching them. Go baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a call to go, to enter the harvest field, to do the work of ministry. But that call to go, I believe, begins with knowing that we are called to abide in Him. To abide in Christ is to enter His rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. These well-known words of Jesus, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We must learn to enter into his rest. Before we can think about working, we need to learn to enter his rest. We need to learn to take his yoke and his burden. So the admonition here from Jesus is not to stop working. It is to work under his yoke and under his burden. The call to enter his rest is not a call to stop work. It's a call to come out from under the burden of sin and death. This is the burden we live under. This is the yoke that we live under. We live under this yoke and this burden in our natural sinful state that we have to work harder to be more loved by God. That we have to try harder, climb higher, in order to attain our salvation. Now, for those that have been in church long enough, and you've heard it enough times, that we're saved by grace through faith. That we're justified by faith and not by works. And we know that here, because we've heard it enough or we've read it enough. But the question is, do you know that here? Do you really know, do you really understand that there is nothing you can do that's going to add to your salvation? That there's nothing you can do that's going to make God love you 
more. That God is up in heaven going, well, you know, I just really want to love you more, Jeff, but you just haven't given me a good enough reason to yet. But I tell you what, if you try a little bit harder, I'm, I'm willing to love you more if, if you're willing to try a little bit harder. That's not gospel. That's not good news. So learning how to enter his rest, learning that we live under this yoke, this bondage of sin and death, and what Jesus came to do was to deliver us from that so that we could come out from under that yoke and we could learn from him. We could take his yoke, which is easy, his burden, which is light. We can come under that and now we can labor in the Lord and our labor will not be in vain because we are yoked to Jesus. We are joined to Jesus. This is a picture, this picture from Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. This is a picture of Jesus doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's a picture of Jesus who has secured our salvation. And we enter into his salvation through faith in him. He has done the heavy lifting. He alone has done the only work that can save us. He invites us to stop laboring under our own dead works rooted in sin and begin to enter into the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about resurrection. He's talking about the hope we have. And he says to the believers, he says, Know this, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain, but our labor in ourselves is absolutely in vain and futile. So we're called to enter his rest. Therefore, entering his rest is not a call to stop working, but it's a command to start living. Because if I'm busy trying to save myself, I'm trapped in the cycle of sin and death, and I am not living I am dead in my sin trying to justify myself and I will never be able to do it. And this is what Jesus does. He calls us to come to Him, to lay down that yoke, to lay down that burden of self-salvation, of self-justification, and to come under His yoke, to come under His burden and learn from Him. It's a command not to stop working, but to start living. To enter into the work of the Lord. To enter into His life. To start living in Him and abounding in the work of the Lord. This is the yoke that is easy. This is the burden that is light. And this is because of what Jesus has secured for us in the cross. Entering His rest begins with obeying His command to come to Him. And to lay down your hard yokes and your heavy burdens. 1 John 5.3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. <clears throat> Jesus didn't come to take you out from one heavy burden and put you under another heavy burden. 
His commands are not burdensome. This command to come to Jesus and to enter into his rest is not to further burden us, but to free us from those things that are fatally smothering us. So in order to enter into his rest, we need to realize that we are called to abide in him. And we'll never enter his rest if we do not abide in his life. Abiding is key to entering his rest and doing the work that God calls us to do. Abiding is not something we learn. Abiding is our state of being in Christ. We either abide in Him or we do not. And when we are in Christ, we abide in Him. So if you are in Christ now, you are abiding in Him. You're not trying to learn to abide in Him. You either are or you are not abiding in Him. The question is whether we have a revelation of this truth or whether we're striving in vain to attain what He has already done for us. Picture a branch abiding in a vine. The branch is abiding and flourishing in the life of the vine. The root is supplying life throughout, and the branches are abiding as an outgrowth from the life of the vine. The life of the root is abiding and flowing in the vine and in the branches. And this is exactly the picture Jesus paints for us that's recorded in, God, in John's Gospel in John chapter 15. John 15, 4 through 6, listen to the words of Jesus. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we're called branches abiding in Jesus, who is the true vine. The branch is not working. The branch is resting and abiding. The branch is sustained by the living vine. It's secured through the root. It's firmly abiding in life. The branch doesn't struggle to abide. It simply abides as it is created to do. The branch is at rest as it securely abides in the vine. But that doesn't mean the branch is not working. Now the branch isn't working to hang on to the vine. The branch isn't working struggling to keep its place there. Remember, it's, it's just an outgrowth of life. It was created. That branch is a creation of the life of that vine, just like we are a new creation of the life of Jesus. And the picture Jesus paints for us here is not that we're hanging on with all of our might trying to stay in Him. It's a picture of rest. It's a picture that we're abiding, that, that we were created 
in his life. And now we are, we are simply abiding in him. But there is absolutely a work taking place. Branches bear fruit. And there could be no fruit produced through the branch if it were not working. The branch is performing a work, but it's doing so as it abides in the vine. The branch isn't struggling to do its work. It restfully performs its work as the life of the vine flows through it with the glorious result of producing fruit. A branch is a vessel for life. Has anyone eaten any fresh fruit this summer? All that fresh fruit you ate was a product of the life that came from that vine, that tree, produced through those branches. Those branches are vessels, and the result of that life flowing through those vessels is fruit. That's what Jesus said we are. We are vessels. We are branches. And the Spirit, the life in us, flowing in us, flowing through us, is to produce fruit in us and through us for the world to see and to know and to glory our Father. So in this discourse, Jesus teaches us that the role each plays and he teaches us what our purpose is. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 6 says, or verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. This is the role that we play. We are the branch. The branch does not dictate to or tell the vine dresser or the vine what they should do, how they should work, when it's all supposed to happen. The branch is simply abiding in the vine. And the vine is supplying life. And the vine dresser is working in the branches as they are abiding in the vine to produce fruit. The vine dresser's job is to maximize the fruit production for the ultimate purpose of glory. And if we understand our place in this picture of life, we will come to trust the good work of God and the hope of glory He has given to us as we are restfully abiding in Christ and as Christ abides in us. And as we abide in Christ, the promise is that He will make us fruitful for the purpose of His glory. And in that fruitfulness, we must know His love and joy and peace to a level that not only fills us to overflowing, but gives witness to the world of His surpassing glory. Which brings us to this question of work. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We have to enter His rest. And we do that by coming to understand that we abide in Him. And this place of abiding is a place of rest. But the point of abiding and the point of entering His rest is not that we stop working. 
Because remember, in, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, I'm going to take one yoke and one burden from you, and I'm going to put you under another. But my yoke and my burden is light, and it's easy. So there's a picture of work there in Matthew chapter 11, the very chapter where Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. But what he's saying is, come to me and I'm going to show you how to work as you abide in me and rest in me. Same with the picture of the vine and the branches. The branches are abiding, but there is a work that's taking place. So this question of our work can become a, a very deep subject. And I don't want to minimize it, but I don't want to overcomplicate it either. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul writes, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Paul concludes our justification is by faith apart from works. But let's go to the book of James and see what James says about works as they relate to faith. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Listen to James. <clears throat> what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? <coughs> Excuse me. If someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now we just read Paul's conclusion that we're justified by faith apart from works. And yet we see James writing saying that, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. One thing we can be certain of is that James is not contradicting Paul, and Paul is not contradicting James, and the Bible is not contradicting itself. In fact, Paul and James are in perfect harmony with one another and also with Jesus. Jesus addresses the subject of works apart from faith. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 23. Let me read that for you. This, these are the words of Jesus. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. There's a tree. Trees have what? They have branches. So get in your mind this picture of, of a tree with branches. You got roots. You got a trunk. You got branches. You got a tree. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven 
May many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We are saved by faith apart from works. But understand this, church, faith will produce something that gives witness to the salvation that's given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, we are likened to good trees that will be known by our fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is not just some theoretical concept, but love has an expression. Joy has an expression. Peace has an expression. Patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control have an expression that must ultimately be seen and known. James called this fruit of faith works. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. James calls it the fruit of faith. What is in us by the Holy Spirit must come out by the Holy Spirit to give witness to our saving faith. Now, what is Jesus referring to back up in Matthew 7? He's referring to the empty deeds and the dead works that give witness to our own self-justification through the deeds of the flesh that are not the fruit of faith, but the works of the flesh. Dead works will not save us, and they do not give witness to the saving work of Christ. Saving faith will give witness to the work of Christ in us. And saving faith will be seen and known through our life. Therefore, doing the work is not doing a bunch of good deeds. Trying to earn a position or brownie points with God. The work of ministry is not doing a bunch of good things in the name of the Lord in an attempt to justify ourselves. Doing the work begins with entering into his rest because he has done the work of salvation. Good deeds are not always reflective of faith. The root determines the fruit. You might tr see a tree in the dead of winter and w wonder what kind of tree that is, but you come back in the summertime and you see luscious fruit hanging from it, you're going to know exactly what kind of tree it is. The root determines the fruit, and the root of faith will ultimately show itself by the works it will produce in us by the Holy Spirit, and they will always give witness to the work of Christ. So doing the work is abiding in His life and understanding that we are joined to Him as one, and His life is flowing through us, and it's working according to the good pleasure of His will. And we are being conformed to the image of the Son of God by the power of the Spirit in us for glorification. That's what Romans 8, 29 and 30 says. That we're predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God and ultimately God is bringing us to a place of glorification. The Spirit of God in you is doing that work right now. And yes, He does it through the valley of shadow. He does it in health. He does it in sickness. He does it in the fiery trial. He does it on the mountaintop, in the sunshine, in the crisp, cool air. Wherever, however, whatever, God is ever 
working in us, sanctifying us, bringing us to this place of ultimate glorification. And he is reminding us that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not even in these bodies. Our hope is in him. And one day, his promise is, he will bring us to this place of glorification. The promise of Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work and you will completed until the day of Jesus Christ. And as we walk through this journey of life, yes, we trust him. Yes, we call upon him. And we call upon his power to deliver us, to heal us, to provide for us, to lift us up, to raise us up, to strengthen us so that we can continue doing the work of the ministry so that we can continue laboring in the Lord so that our labor is not in vain. But we always remember that we're not doing that because we need to justify ourselves. We're doing that because God has already done the work of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he has given us now the privilege to come alongside, to take his yoke and to learn from him and do the work of the Lord and to do the work of ministry to give witness to his glory to make disciples to be disciples doing the work is ultimately giving witness to Christ through our abiding life in him and the work is done in the most simple unassuming ways it's also done purposefully meticulously we give witness to this work and to his glory and to our faith in simple things like loving others by experiencing joy in this life or peace it can be feeding the hungry or housing the homeless or lending a helping hand. Our work can be witnessed by regularly attending worship with the body and giving glory to the Father. By studying the scripture, by making disciples, by being disciples ourselves. This work that comes from faith is done both purposefully and it's done incidentally as a witness to Christ. As people watch us and listen to us and we don't even realize that they are you give witness always the work of ministry is all around us it's all the time it's everywhere but we're called to enter his rest to stop struggling and to begin abiding we're called to do the work of ministry because Jesus has already done the work of salvation and our work of ministry gives witness to the finished work of Christ and the new life and the new creation that we have become in him we have a call to rest a call to abide and a call to work we do all of this through the exceeding greatness of his power that abides in us by the Holy Spirit and when we begin to get the revelation of His Spirit in us, of His Spirit filling us, of His Spirit empowering us, we will begin to realize and understand more fully what it means to enter His rest, what it means to abide 
in him. What it means to take his yoke and his burden and enter into the work of the Lord and have the assurance that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is who we are. This is what we're called to for his glory. Now, having said all that, I want to tell you one last thing. And if you don't remember anything else that I tell you today, I want you to remember this very last thing. And I always want to be careful to remind you when we talk about work, we talk about these things so that we don't slip down this slippery slope of thinking somehow that my work is, is somehow justifying me, that my work somehow is giving me a, a leg up on somebody else. People very often think that I'm closer to God because I'm a pastor. I actually have people call me who don't attend church or don't attend this church and let's say I'm calling you because I know you're closer to God than I am because you're a pastor. Because you, what they're saying is the work you do is more valuable. The work you do gets you closer to God. You, you've worked harder. You've worked whatever. And you've worked your way up to have a position with God that I don't have. No. The position we have with God is not based on anything we've done. It's based on everything Christ has done. So hear this. Having said all that I've said today, I want you to hear and I want you to remember this above everything else. The only hope we have is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We do not know and we do not understand the depth of our sin. God gives us grace. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And even when we sorrow over our sin, even in our sorrow over sin, even in our repentance, we fall eternally short. And only the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ can save us and restore us. Our best works are not good enough. That's why we have no work of our own to boast in. We have only to boast in Christ and the work of the cross. To Him and to Him alone belong the glory. Because He alone has saved us. When we are tempted to feel self-justified. When we're tempted to think we've got to heap a little more condemnation and guilt upon ourselves, we need to realize there is nothing we can do that justifies ourselves. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. It is what Christ has done. Therefore, the only hope we have is to put our trust in Him and what he has already done. And give him glory and give him thanksgiving because he has done what we cannot do ourselves. And in his grace, he has brought us to life.
through faith in Christ.